Oh, no, 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 I wouldn't say that. His work will go on, only not quite in the same way. But I don't believe that man was made to be controlled by machines. Machines can make laws, but they cannot preserve justice. Only human beings can do that. Now, I only hope that you'll carry on his good work. Please, goodbye. Bless you, my child. <laughs> Hello everyone, and thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And this week we will be watching The Keys of Marinus. Uh, The Keys of Marinus was written by Terry Nation, directed by John Gorey, produced by Verity Lambert, and debuted April 11th, 1964, to May 16th, 1964. And Caleb, you will be uh, excited to know this. Uh, This is the first story that was written by a returning writer. Terry Nation was the one who wrote the Daleks. Oh, okay. So it might be pretty good. Yeah, so high hopes for this one. As I said at the beginning of... uh, As I said at the end of the last episode, this is the first attempt... A long line of, let's face it, unsuccessful attempts to try and introduce an enemy that is was as popular as the Daleks. I think it's weird that the Daleks are the most popular enemy because they're just kind of silly. They are kind of silly, but they're also just, they're just so alien, you know? They're not humanoid at all. They have such a weird speech pattern. They're just so distant, and they're, and more importantly... They're very imitatable. I feel like there's a better word for that. And very marketable. <laughs> so. I guess. Let's market these trash cans. <laughs> hey, I had a a Dalek Yahtzee cup for a while that I just had <laughs> on my dresser. So it they are marketable. They're very, they're very easy. You can have Dalek salt shakers if you want. What are Doctor Who fans called? Whovians. Whovians. I hate that. Yeah. That's the worst. Not not a great name, no. <laughs> Why do you ask? Uh, I was just wondering because I was gonna call you whatever it was, but that you have you having to say it was bad enough. Yeah, so. that's that's enough punishment. Yeah. Fandoms are weird. I consider myself fans of a lot of things, but uh I never really like associating myself with any fandom because all fandoms are awful without exception i mean i've met i've i've made plenty of friendships through doctor who but by and large if you go on the internet for doctor who uh it's kind of you know like any other fandom so toxic and shitty kind of there are plenty of people who will consider us not real fans because we're going to be ignoring all the audio dramas and books so and also not real fans because we keep making fun of daleks (laughs) <laughs> Exterminate. but uh, yeah so you're in an interesting position caleb because at the end of an unearthly child we had the scene where susan uh reads the radiation wrong and then they go out into scarrow and then at the end of the daleks we had um the tardis crashing and then at the end of edge of destruction they had them going out into the snow and finding a very large footprint but at the end of marco polo there wasn't any sort of lead-in 
to the next episode. So with that in mind, given all you know about Doctor Who and the title of the episode, The Keys of Marinus, what do you think this episode's going to be about? Oh man, this is the first one where I, I can't even think of something like funny to say about it. Because <laughs> I genuinely have no idea. I've also been good about not looking at the uh, thumbnails on BritBox. Ah. So genuine, I genuinely no idea. I'm going to say that this is this story was the inspiration for whoever wrote Kingdom Hearts. And it's about collecting keys <laughs> into time and space. I have just uh, read the back of the box. So I don't really remember what happens in this episode, but I did read the back of the box and um there are definitely keys involved. How closely related it is to Kingdom Hearts, we will see. <laughs> we will see. Now, one thing we never did is we never gauged how accurate I was on the last story about how close it was to Uncharted 2. I don't know. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 50, 50%. <laughs> I was about half right. 50%, I feel like. Yetis that weren't really Yetis. The Himalayas. Marco Polo. Yeah. Yeah, that's about 50%. I'd, I'd, say, it's, too, I'd right? say it's 50%. It was equally as exciting as Uncharted. Wow. Okay. <laughs> let's, not get, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> well, I'm ready to watch it. I don't know about you. Oh, I'm ready. Okay. And with that, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. <laughs> back may have just been a couple seconds for you but it was about 10 days for us and what a 10 days it was what a 10 days it was we laughed we cried we went on adventures and we actually watched an episode of doctor who that we actually enjoyed i know wasn't that a nice change of pace caleb <laughs> it was actually so i can i can officially say there's a story arc that i at least mildly enjoy I don't want to give away my final thoughts, but um, I'm pretty sure this one is going to be going at the at the top of my list. But uh, the only real before we start talking note that I have is that uh, this is the first episode in which <laughs> in which we see a TARDIS materialization using a model. <laughs> yes, I saw that. <laughs> Look at that little mini TARDIS. <laughs> It, it just like had just like such an obvious like um model of an island and then the tardis appearing like a toy tardis <laughs> appearing and i and i i just had the bit from monty python run through my head of just like it's only a model <laughs> do we do anything before we go into recap has it been so long since I, it's been so long since we actually talked about an episode uh no i think we just kind of dive into it don't we i think so Let's go ahead and dive into it then, I guess. Okay. Well, I guess let's dive into it. I'll start reading my beautifully written um, summaries. We'll start with episode one, The Sea of Death. The time travelers find themselves on a mysterious planet with acidic oceans and beaches of glass. Ian, Barbara, and the Doctor also discover mysterious submarines showing someone has come to the island recently. Susan wanders off to a building at the center of the island with a mysterious figure following her. The rest of the group find their way to the building and make their way inside. There they rescue a man named Arbitan. He explains that the mysterious creatures are the Vords, and he is the keeper of the conscience of Marinus, an advanced supercomputer that makes all decisions on the planet. 
The Vord leader Yartek wishes to use Marinus to take control of the planet, but he will need to find five keys to activate it. Arbitan persuades the travelers to find the key f- keys for him so he can stop Yartek for good. As the travelers disappear, Arbitan is slain by one of the Vord. Yeah. Um, so as I said last episode, this was their first of many attempts to make enemies as iconic as the Daleks. I can see why they failed. Because the yes. Vord are kind of lame. <laughs> kind of really lame. I like their helmets. Yeah, their helmets look cool. Like their their design isn't bad. It's just that they don't really do much because they only appear in the first episode and the last half of the last episode. So I can see why they didn't become part of the public zeitgeist like the Daleks did. Yeah. No, I can agree. And yeah, they're there. And like the only thing they really do is be really bad at stabbing people. They're really bad at stabbing people. I don't think anybody taught them how to do it. Because <laughs> they try to stab, I think, everybody. I'm pretty sure yeah, everybody in the cast is attempted stabbings. Only one of them is a success, however. And it's the old dude nobody cares about. <laughs> uh, and this is also when... Ian just basically becomes Hercules because I'm pretty sure he grapples with someone in every episode of this story. Not every episode, and we'll we'll get to that. But um, but yeah, he's definitely if he hasn't been already. I think this is the episode that kind of solidifies Ian as the muscle of the mm-hmm. group. This is jumping ahead a bit, but my favorite part of this episode is when Ian is saving Arbitan and on Arbitan like hits a button on the wall and the board falls down the shaft. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little paper mache model <laughs> falling down a hole. Yeah, it's just like a little paper mache falling down a hole. And uh, I don't remember it, but I feel like, I mean, it wasn't the Wilhelm scream, but it feels like the 1964 equivalent of the Wilhelm it scream feel, when he, it he like feels falls very down. stock. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. That was chef's kiss i also like because you don't technically see i don't trying to remember how they described the biology of the vord but you don't technically see the vord but there was one bit that i really liked because it was using their limited budget to their advantage one of the glass submarines had a crack in it and there was like a suit inside and they like pulled out and it was clearly like a vord costume that had not mm-hmm. went, was not filled with anything so it was there was like a rupture in the in the suit and it killed the, and it like dissolved the vord inside which i thought was kind of neat as just like a oh they already had the costumes and they they were a lot over budget so let's just use this <laughs> <laughs> they're uh, they're getting clever now so. Yeah, although I do think the budget is improving because, and I might be wrong about this, but I think this is the first time you can actually see the outside through the doors of the TARDIS. Like, they're in the TARDIS, they open the doors, you can actually see what's outside. Mm, I like, didn't notice that. I'm pretty sure, I might be wrong, I might be wrong this being the first time, but I did notice it for the first time this time. I was like, oh, they've got like a budget. Isn't that neat? cool (laughs) (laughs) i i just have to say this and maybe it was a little more apparent in marco polo but i just didn't see it so i couldn't 
visually associate it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the, for me, this is when Ian and Barbara go into full Stockholm syndrome mode. Yeah. The reason I say that is like this episode opens and they're like, oh, they're on this planet, this like weird island. And the, doc- the doctor's like, this is a curious place. And Ian is like, yes, it is quite curious. Hmm. I wonder what this place is all about. And I don't know. I'm probably going to complain about this until the until these are no longer the uh, companions. But why aren't they mad that they're not in England? See, again, this is <laughs> such a uh, such a separation of both of our perspectives <laughs> because I have a note that says I like that Ian and Barbara are finally getting into the whole adventuring thing. <laughs> you describe it as Stockholm syndrome. I describe it as oh, they're finally having fun. Isn't that nice? <laughs> No, 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 this is full Stockholm Syndrome, because I'm like, if I don't know, if it was me, and I just survived basically almost being sold off, <laughs> or like being stuck in 14th century China, and if we weren't back in London, I'd be pissed. I'm like, Doctor, where the fuck are we? <laughs> it, well, it's become increasingly obvious, Caleb, that the Doctor has absolutely no idea how to pilot the TARDIS. No, I know that, but that doesn't mean they can't be mad about it. <laughs> Well, what are they going to do? Uh, I don't know. Uh, we, we've kind of talked about this before. Like, if it were me, I'd be like, well, if I can't go home, I'm at least going to murder this guy. <laughs> yeah, but then you're stuck wherever it is you landed. The doctor's the only one who knows how to, quote, pilot the TARDIS. I'm stuck in space and time anyway. If I don't think I'm going home, at least taking this guy with me. <laughs> <laughs> Susan almost dips her foot into acid um, and just her shoe falls in. And she has like... A tiny little bit of a freak out, but not a big one. I I was still trying to keep an eye out for like Susan having a freak out per story. But the thing is, several times throughout this story, Susan's freak outs are kind of justified. So mm. I ha- so it's like it's a while before it actually. Oh, there's there's a Su- there's a Susan freak out TM. Yeah, there's a Susan moment. I feel like I don't know. I there there was a quite a gap between me watching this episode and me watching the rest of the episodes mm-hmm. but i i i vaguely remember being like susan come on like yeah that's kind of weird but chill the fuck out but that's me vaguely recalling that so yeah speaking of finally seeing things that we couldn't really see uh in marco polo um ian is still wearing his robe tunic Something that he picked up when he was in China, and it looks comfy as hell, and I want one. Oh, I know that silky turtleneck. I'm yeah, like, it looks so good. I want it. <laughs> I I also make the note that uh, so when when they they land on the island, they find a uh, building, and they are like going all around it. They can't seem to find any sort of entrance, but one by one, they all go into it because the the walls like rotate and shift and they all end up like falling into it yeah the scooby-doo yeah and that's that's what i said i said caleb's analysis of doctor who being like scooby-doo is proving to be more and more true because first there was the moving eyes in the last episode and now there's the falling through the rotating wall in this one all we need is like the one hallway shot where they're like they're running into one room and then like the villain is coming out of another room <laughs> oh my god you're gonna love it because in new who they do that Oh, like, it's no. a straight-up Benny Hill moment. <laughs> like, it's played for laughs. It's not serious. But but it's still really funny that you bring that up. Another funny moment 
was again they didn't intend for it to be funny but all the best funny moments are the ones they don't intend to be funny ian and barbara are trying to find an entrance and then they hear susan scream because she falls through the through the wall and and he's like that sounds like susan let's go and i was just like i know that glass shattering scream anywhere that must be susan (laughs) oh on the on the snow of the building before we get too far Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have one mild complaint about this episode, and that is with the blocking. What's that? <laughs> Namely in one spot, and it's when Ian and the doctor discover the building. And it's basically them, like, looking up from what they're looking at, and Ian being like, what's that building over there? I'm like, motherfucker, you did not just see that building. Because, <laughs> like, it's not, even, it's not even like the doctor, like, dramatically turns around. He also just kind of casually looks up. He's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I like when they're going around the building... But obviously, they only have so big of a set, so they just have the backdrop that, like, makes it look 3D, and the actors just, like, walk towards that direction, but they have to cut it before they, like, bang into the wall, (laughs) (laughs) Looney Tunes style. (laughs) Yeah, they they get into the building, and then Ian fights one of the Vord, and it's really weird. There's no music at all when he's, like, physically wrestling with the board and it really feels like there should be something but there's no music i and i think that's something we could say about the series a lot like sometimes i feel like there isn't music when there really really should be because otherwise it's just like awkwardly watching people wrestle arbitan explains what the consciousness is like the computer that basically runs the society and the idea of the consciousness is so morally dubious. I was 100% convinced that it was going to be the villain and that the Vord were like righteous rebels. Because the idea behind the consciousness is that it it doesn't necessarily control every single person on the planet, but it makes everyone's moral alignment in line with what this computer deems to be right and wrong. And I was really expecting there to be some sort of moral quandary there, but there wasn't. I feel kind of cheated out of that. <laughs> I don't think we're quite. Too, I don't think we're quite to like the moral nuance stage yet. I don't know when that begins for the show, or if it does. But it does. It definitely does. All the moral ambiguity comes from the doctor himself, really. I feel like we're not that far off. I feel like some moral ambiguity is headed our way pretty soon. Maybe this episode was just kind of like, we could have done something with that, couldn't we? Ah, fuck, why didn't we do something with that? (laughs) And then I just love that Arbitan gives them this quest, and he's just like, everyone I've ever known and loved has died horribly to get these keys. Oh, but you'll probably be fine, so you just go ahead. But then, then, for the first time ever, the group actually makes a good decision. And they're like, thanks, but no thanks. They're I like, don't want anything to nah, do with that. Nah, peace. But then Arbitan reminded me of like a DM whose players refuse to take the quest hook because like they're like, no, we're not going to do that. And then they go back to the TARDIS and then Arbitan is like, uh, uh, uh but th- there's there's a force field. Yeah, there's a force field around your TARDIS. So now you can't leave and now you have to do the quest. <laughs> good analogy but yes that's exactly how it is but uh you know it's nice because i spend the rest of the time being like why aren't you just leaving yeah 
which is which is another strong thing about Marco Polo. I like when they they come up with actual reasons of why they don't just peace. And it's better than the doctor actively sabotaging them to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> which I will never get over. I will never get over that. <laughs> we will be doing this four years later and we will be like in the midst of new who and you'll be like, yeah, no, that's cool and all. It's cool that the doctor saved the world and everything. But remember that time where he sabotaged the TARDIS? <laughs> I will. I will be like that. I hold grudges. That's really it for this episode. Yeah, that's the end of my notes for this episode. This was a really strong opening, I felt. Um, I was I was intrigued to see like where it was going, and I was I was eager to watch more. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's the strongest opening. Oh wow, I like the premise and I like the fact that like it kind of makes them do things. The first half of the episode is like super meandery. Um, a, a bit it's it's a bit meandery but i don't know i w- i was also like ooh yes an ocean made of acid this is very interesting and i was i was intrigued by the by the glass submarines and everything so it wasn't a bit meandery but it was it had me interested to see more no i agree uh it's at least on par with the unearthly child opening so yeah i'd say so yeah um definitely better than all the other openings Definitely, yeah, I'd say so. All right, so we move on to episode two. Episode two, the Velvet Web. The next episode begins with Barbara missing and the group looking for her. They discover her being lavished by servants and wearing fine clothes. Their hosts promise them many riches, but Ian is skeptical of their generosity. However, while the group sleeps, one of the servants places strange rocks on their head. But Barbara's falls off while she sleeps, and she awakens to find that not all is as it seems. The servants are in fact Sabitha and Altos, Arbitan's daughter and her lover, who were captured by the brains of Morphaton, disembodied brains in jars that have brainwashed everyone to do as they please. Barbara destroys the brains and recovers the first key of Marinus. Then the group separates, with the doctor going after one key and the others heading for another. The episode ends with Susan alone in a whispering forest. It's kind of brief on that one, but there is actually a lot to talk about. Yeah, there is. Yeah, because one thing we didn't mention in the last episode was that um, Arbitan gave them all these like teleportation watches that would take them to the place, the different locations where the keys are hidden. And that's where they end up. That's how they end up here. I really, really liked this episode. The thing that I realized that made this story so much better than all the others is that it solved one of the biggest issues that we've had so far. And that's pacing Mm -hmm. because each episode is them trying to get a different key. So each episode is like its own little self-contained story. So they have to pick up the pace in order to Mm -hmm. set up what's what the issue is and then get, then get them the key by the end of it. Mm -hmm. No, and that's what's really good about this one is what distinguishes it from something like Marco Polo, where the kind of episodic adventures were really repetitive. These Mm -hmm. ones are really different, and that's Mm -hmm. definitely what makes this story stronger compared to everything else. Yes. Uh, And I'd agree with you. I really like this story after the first five minutes. After, well, the first, yeah, the first five minutes were just like Barbara's like laying back and like, look at all these, these fine foods and silks and everything. And you're just like, all right, when's the shoe dropping? Because, like, this is obviously a trap. Now, how specifically is this a trap? 
yes uh as a viewer you're like okay this is obviously a trap but also i feel like okay i, I have a lot of critiques in the first five minutes so bear with me let's open it with yin is like this is barbara's t- travel watch thing it's covered in blood uh it's like we have to find her and the doctor is like well we don't want to jump to conclusions <laughs> what <laughs> are you talking about so yeah so first off there's that the doctor just consistently not caring about anyone or for some reason acting to be rational when he's just dismissing people's concerns i thought that was hilarious and then they find barbara and she's like oh i'm fine i just scratched myself a little bit and that's that that was the blood did you nick an artery barbara (laughs) (laughs) i thought the same thing and then lastly this is my this is my last real criticism does everyone have goldfish brain because they walk in and they're like, wow, look at this place. Oh, these clothes are so nice. The food is so good. And I'm watching like, uh, aren't we supposed to be doing something? Yeah, I agree. Because I was just like, Barbara got set up as royalty too quickly. And I was just like, what, what, what's what's going on here? But I, I almost feel like maybe... What what were the you actually wrote down what the brains were called? I didn't. What were they called? The brains of Morphaton. Brains of Morphaton. That's how you say it. I don't remember them ever saying that, but I'm not sure. Um, but the I almost feel like this is the brains of Morphaton, like immediately having a sort of effect on them. That's fair enough. Like because they're really, really under the influence after they've slept, but right now it's almost like they're first being lulled in kind of thing into into the trap mm-hmm. so on the nose one of the things that's um one of the first things that like tempts the doctor is that there there were some pomegranates that that he could eat and i was just like if greek mythology has taught me anything is that you should not be eating those pomegranates right now <laughs> i really do think that the brains of morphaton have already had some sort of influence on them because they go to because they go to bed and then like snap they are they are out. They are already asleep mm-hmm. the moment they lay down. Yeah, and at first I like I was pushing back mentally for a second, like after they wake up, because uh, Ian is like skeptical when they first get there. They're like, "Well, mm-hmm. there's got to be a cost to this. There's got to be something wrong." And then he wakes up and he thinks Barbara is being weird for saying something is wrong. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, "Ian, you literally just said that." But then as you kind of watch the episode, you kind of realize what the brains of Morphaton are doing. You're like, oh, like that's how powerful their influence is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Upon further reflection, I was like, hmm, that was actually a good creative choice. Yeah. And I do just really like how they wake up and uh, it's like normal with them, like eating a fine breakfast and Susan being given this beautiful dress and everything. And then they wake up a Barbara and then it's like a point of view from Barbara's perspective from her bed. And everything's just like rags and rotten food and everything. And I f- help me out here, Caleb. I feel like there's some sort of like famous myth or famous story where the moment they realize that they're being deceived, they see the world for how it is and how it's actually like rags now i do know that this that this exact thing happens in del Toro quest but i'm pretty <laughs> sure that the children's books did not originate that i feel like there's some sort of famous like myth or story of like oh this is too good to be true and then someone's eyes are opened and oh yeah 
it is oh i don't know uh at least in the sense of like seeing like seeing like a utopia and then like you realize what's wrong and then it being a dystopia i guess i don't know is the giver kind of like that i mean the giver is kind of like that but i mean like literally like oh the food i was just eating is actually like maggot filled oh i don't know i i genuinely don't okay I f- there's something I, I i feel like you're i feel like you're right that there is like some sort of like universally like acknowledged story to that extent but i could not tell you what it is i'm too stupid if you're if you're listening to this comment in whatever way you can comment and please let us know if there's some sort of obvious example of this because we will love you forever because it's bugging the shit out of me <laughs> <laughs> i was predicting this story that like this story arc would do and it kind of does um is that each key location is like a chance for one of the crew members to like shine for somebody to like show show them show their stuff mm-hmm. and that is kind of true but we'll get more into it later um but this episode is definitely barbara's this is 100 mm-hmm. percent a barbara focused episode because she sees through it everybody else is going is still trapped and then they all end up turning on her and like capturing her and like they don't remember her after they sleep a second time um Mm -hmm. and she's the one who who uh destroys the destroys the brains this is also one of the episodes where like having a low budget and kind of being aware of that and like leaning into it with the dark art direction like really helped i thought because mm-hmm. a like you see the pov of barbara and like it's dark and weird and then you see altos for the first time like that and he's like, got like bags under his eyes and mm-hmm. his clothes are dirty Ooh, that was so cool Ooh, i liked that yeah and then the scene where um they show ian and the doctor the lab <laughs> yeah and the doctor is just waving around the cup i'm like this is amazing <laughs> yeah they're like wow this lab really does have everything and it's just an empty room with just an a rusty mug laying on the table yeah that was that was cool that was a cool scene yeah no i love that and then again the blocking when barbara is hiding from altos and she's like hidden up behind a pillar and he comes all the way down the stairs and looks in the room I don't know. I'm watching. I'm like, he can see her. I yeah. Know he can. Yeah. No, I had the same. I had the same thought. It just you had to suspend your disbelief of Aldo's just not having any peripheral vision at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that was that's just one of those funny dated moments. Hot take. The brains of Morphaton are the coolest um, villains in this story. Like this whole arc. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think the brains of Morphaton were, were at the very least the most intimidating, which is really impressive considering they're just brains with like slug eyes coming out of their coming out of the top of them in jars they don't move or anything so it's kind of impressive that they were as intimidating as they were yeah no by and large i actually really like this episode Uh, once it gets going i was like okay okay and then and then then again the episode ends with a scooby-doo moment of (laughs) the doctor is like Altos was just explaining to me that they split up before, but they haven't heard back from their friend who's, you know, going after the other key. So uh, what we should do is actually literally the exact same thing. I'll split up and go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's actually, there actually is a um, behind the scenes reason for that. Uh, because William Hartnell actually went on vacation. 
Um, he went on vacation because he's super old and has been working every single day on Doctor Who and he needed a break. So and I feel like if they were going to find a way of writing the Doctor out of the story for a couple of episodes, I think they did a pretty good job of it of like, I'll go get this key. You guys go get those keys. They also did a good job of like keeping it in character too, because he even has a line. He's like, "Yes, I'm off to a um, civilized society. You guys go trance around with barbarians or something." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this was this was the Barbara episode. I think that's about all I have left of. I think this was this. I will I will make the claim that this is the strongest standalone episode we've watched. You know, I think I agree. I agree with that. I, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that's all I have. That's all I have for this episode. Yeah, I think that's all I have too. So uh, I shall read the synopsis for episode three, The Screaming Jungle. Make it so. The episode opens on the travelers comforting Susan, who said she heard strange sounds from the forest. The gang splits up, with Susan and Barbara staying where they are. Barbara quickly finds the next key embedded in a statue. When she goes to get it, the statue grabs her and turns into the wall. Barbara just manages to throw the key before disappearing. Ian tells the rest of the group to go on ahead and that he will retrieve Barbara. After most of them leave, though, he learns that the key is fake. After following Barbara past the statue, he finds her in a strange maze filled with booby traps. After making their way into a building and dodging more traps, the two save an old man named Darius, who was tasked with guarding the key. Before he dies, Darius gives them a mysterious code hinting to the key's location. After reading his journals, they learn that Darius was a biologist experimenting on the local fauna. As a byproduct of his research, the forest is now alive and violent. It attacks the two as they try to find the key, but they find it just in time and escape. Yep. Um, so, actually, I'm lying. I did have one note at the end of uh, episode two that I did not say. Um, because at the very end of episode two, Susan teleports first and she ends up in the forest and she's hearing whispers and uh my note for episode two was the ending of this episode implies no small amount of susan freakouts next episode and then my first <laughs> note for episode three is there it is <laughs> because she's just like freaking out because she's hearing noises in the forest all the <laughs> noise 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 <laughs> Um, yeah, I I kind of had that thought too. At least at the end of episode two, I was watching it on my phone. And I had headphones on, and like I saw Susan crouch on the ground. And she's looking this way, and she's looking that way, and I turned it down. I'm like, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we know the telltale signs now. <laughs> so uh, here's one of the here's one of the trivia facts. Uh, Carol Ann Ford did not like the portrayal of Susan in this uh, story uh, because she felt that she was too childish and pathetic in this episode. I don't know how to tell Carol Ann Ford <laughs> this, but I don't see a difference between Susan in this story and previous stories. None whatsoever. <laughs> I guess maybe the fact that they talk down to her, but they do that all the time too. They do that all the time. Yeah. Cause they're like, Susan, what are you talking about? Chill out. They all go on ahead, and Ian stays behind uh, to find Barbara. Oh, here's an important note. Mm. In this moment, when they're kind of separated and they're off, 
Susan is just kind of like lying on the ground and the vine snakes up her leg and then she starts, you know, doing her Susan thing. And then Barbara turns around the saber, grabs the vine, hits it with a rock. And then Susan was like, it was alive. It was trying to slither up me. And then Barbara goes, what are you talking about? It couldn't have been alive. Okay, that's the part I was thinking of. Because I just I just had a note that said, this shot brought to you by Sam Raimi. And I couldn't remember when it happened. <laughs> <laughs> then why did you hit it with a rock, Susan? I'm... I was kind of frustrated with how quickly Barbara was to completely dismiss Susan saying that she heard something or that she saw something for two reasons. One, Susan Susan freaked out about the exact same thing in the Daleks. And guess what? She was fucking right. There was someone in the forest who did tap her on the shoulder. And also, at the very beginning of Marco Polo, Barbara claimed that she saw yetis. But nobody believed her, and then they met the Mongols, and it turned out that she was right. I just, it seems odd that Barbara is so quick to dismiss Susan's claims of having seen, heard, or felt something. Yeah, and like we're at a point in the show, again, they all have Stockholm Syndrome, uh, and they're all aware that it's a big universe with lots of crazy stuff, so why wouldn't the forest be alive? Yeah. Why wouldn't Susan hear something? But I'm, I am glad you brought that up because Susan has a line where she's like, she's heard, uh, she's like, she heard something and she's heard it before. And I'm like, ooh, oh, that sounds interesting. Something we've seen before, like something about their past adventures. And then it never got brought up again. I was like, what was the point of that? But now that you've kind of connected the dots with the uh, Daleks episode. Yeah. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it makes sense to me. Who knows? I, I, I will accept it. And given that... Um, it was Susan who came first and that it was Susan who heard the whisperings first and Susan was the one who was being targeted by the plants. I was predicting this was going to be the Susan episode, like the last episode was the Barbara episode, but almost immediately, like a minute later, she bounces with um, mm-hmm. with the other two. Altos and Sabitha. So, like, I, I was I was gearing up for a Susan episode, and then it didn't happen, and I was kind of disappointed. So I was like, okay, I guess this is the Ian episode? Because and then the rest of them are the Ian episodes? Almost. The statue grabs uh, Barbara and is definitely copping a feel. Definitely. I thought it was really funny, because, like, it's clearly just, like, a wall that has two holes in it for an actor's hands to go through that then like grab her by the legs and and turn her around um i thought that was funny but also like good job good job on using your budget well (laughs) we figured it out we figured out how to do it and here's this is such a this is one of those instances where i'm thinking about it more than the writers were but i really do appreciate that apparently spinning walls are a consistent part of Marinus architecture because this is the second instance in which the only way to get into a place is through a spinning wall that they've encountered since landing on this planet they should double down on it like when they're in the trial place like all the doors should just spun i was kind of hoping they would i thought that would be great (laughs) and you're like oh that's consistent world building um and not just like convenient ways to make people go away yeah 
the group pulls another Scooby-Doo tactic with like really insane leaps of logic. So Susan gets grabbed and turned around. Ian is like, I don't know what to do. Barbara I don't know does. how to get her back. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say Susan? Yeah, Barbara. So Ian is at a loss at what to do. And Altos and Sabitha are just straight up like, she has a watch. She's probably fine. Let's just go. And then Ian is like, yeah, why don't you guys go ahead and go? And I'll figure it out. I thought that was really funny. And, and just the classic of like, hey, we're probably in danger. Let's keep splitting the group up. Their, their logic wasn't entirely unsound, though, because they're like, you three go on ahead just in case Barbara's already moved on. But there's a chance that Barbara hasn't moved on, and we don't want to just leave her here. So I'm going to look around to make sure that she's left. I feel like there is some logic to it. And no, like, there is some logic. I think it's more of, like, how quick they come to the conclusion. Hmm. Okay. Because they're like, well, what do we do? And Sabitha is like, well, she has a travel watch. Like, she probably jumped ahead. And it made me suspicious of Sabitha and Altos. I'm like, hmm, are they the bad guys? I was kind of expecting something, too. I I had a theory for a plot twist later in this story, but it's, like, the last two episodes. Okay. Something else that I've kind of expected to come up in our discussions but hasn't yet caleb what's your opinion of sabitha and how hot she is <laughs> there it is because <laughs> like one of my notes in episode two was like caleb's going to mention how much how hot sabitha is <laughs> oh i have a type you definitely have a type <laughs> i sure do yep <laughs> anyway so ian goes and finds barbara and I think they, they they split up again. I think they split up again. Yeah, they split up, like, because once they get to the building, once they make their way through, like, the weird maze thing, um, they can't get the door open, and Ina's like, well, I'll go find another way in. You stand here. Right, yes. And, um, and I don't know, like, Ian leaves, and Barbara waits for him to get back, and I almost feel like the actor or the stagehand or whatever who was supposed to open up the door um, that Barbara eventually goes through was supposed to have was supposed to hit their cue a lot sooner because they hold on the shot of Barbara waiting for Ian for way too long. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> and then Barbara walks into the building and a net gets thrown on her and... <laughs> The ceiling starts to come down. Yeah, the ceiling starts to come down, but more importantly, like, Barbara, she's having such a tough time with this net. Let me tell you, she is just <laughs> baffled by this net. And, like, she screams for Ian to come help her, and I'm like, it's a net. Just take the net off, Barbara. <laughs> just roll just rolling off of you. <laughs> it's just like, Darius is strange. Darius is very strange. Um, one of the notes I have regarding him is is that he has this little house that he's, that he's holed up in to protect him from the, the now conscious flora that's attacking. And he's like boarded up his windows. But this dude sucks at boarding up his windows because there's like so much space. Like it's a huge window and he just has like three planks of wood on it and not covering it up at all. He's like, yes, there, now we're good. So, like, he kind of deserves... Now those little plants can stay out. He kind of deserves to be killed later. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think what... This is something I thought, too. When Ian gets in, saves Barbara, and they save Darius, who's being choked by a plant at the window, why didn't Barb make the connection there? 
She's like, hmm, this is kind of like that thing that supposedly touched Susan. Yeah. But no, even after Ian is talking about, he's talking about the plants being alive and violent. And Barbara is still like, well, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> like, why did they both make the connection after a plant literally killed this guy? Right. And then the dude who's uh, so forgettable, I've already forgotten his name, um, is dying. And he gives a last hint of saying where the key is located i would buy that their first instinct of what he's saying being a chemical formula i would buy that not being their first thought if it was literally anyone else but ian is a chemistry teacher the fact that (laughs) he just listed a chemical formula should have been like oh oh i know what that is and so he should have gone looking for the jars immediately. That's a fair point. I keep forgetting that he's a chemistry teacher. I think the show keeps forgetting that he's a chemistry teacher. Because Bar- Barbara's a history teacher, but she says something in the beginning, in the first episode, about like the acid sea. And like, isn't it, isn't this this type of pool? I'm like, I don't know, Barbara. Aren't you like a history teacher or something? Why would you know that? She said it was a tide pool. A tide pool, yes. Yes. Right, I'm not the person to ask. I don't know anything about anything so yeah the show kind of forgets that ian is a chemistry teacher and just kind of leans more and more into the he's the young man who can do stuff that the doctor can't i don't know like he know he know he knows some things but it doesn't seem like it's ever about chemistry at least when he needs it to be yeah but then they then but then they find the code and they get away before the plants kill them this episode was fine. It was decently paced, at least, but it's probably one of the weaker episodes in it for me. Yeah, I'd agree. I was expecting it to uh, finally give a chance for Susan to do anything, but then they were like, nope, going to be Ian and Barbara. Bye. Ian and Barbara are the ones that are to focus. Um, and then they teleport to like the top of a, a mountain, and they're freezing. And that leads us into the next synopsis. So it does. The Snows of Terror. Ian and Barbara find themselves on a mountaintop and are saved by a mysterious man named Vasor. After taking them back to the cabin, Vasor tells them that uh, tells them that he met Altos and sent him off looking for the other two girls. Ian wants to go after him, but he has to exchange his travel watch for a warm fur. Barbara realizes that Vasor has been lying to him to them and that he left the girls stranded in a cave. Altos and Ian arrive just in time to save Barbara from being attacked, and they force Vasor to lead them to the girls. When they arrive at the cave, Vasor doesn't want to go further, claiming they are demons in the mountain. After finding the girls and traveling further, the man traps the group by collapsing a rope bridge. On the other side, the group find frozen guards and the key trapped in a block of ice. After thawing it out, they retrieve the key, but revive the guards as well. After escaping the mountain, the group make their way back to Vaser's cabin and retrieve their watches. Vaser is killed by the guards, and the group narrowly escapes. This episode is pretty good. It's definitely better than the last one. It's better than the last one. I would call it the second weakest episode. Yes, I would agree. But it gets points for the hilarity factor, because some parts of this episode are unironically hilarious. Yes, I agree. But what, what parts are you talking about? Oh, a lot. <laughs> we'll get to it. Okay. Well, I guess, okay, we'll start with this one. Early in the episode, Ian has to trade, trade his travel watch for a fur mm-hmm. that only covers his shoulders. Yeah. Instantly hilarious. This is random. You want to edit this back and do the other episode, because it's the last note I had about uh, the Screaming Jungle. 
Altos has a line where he's like, don't worry, Susan, I'll be your new guardian. And then the first thing that came to my mind was, I'd want my new guardian to wear pants. Yes, <laughs> I was going I was going to bring that up, actually, because Ian <laughs> finds Altos in, out in the mountains and Altos is still wearing like his like Greek toga robe thing. And I just made the note of, oh, man, Altos's legs are fucking done there's no recovery there and then a couple uh notes down uh was when it cuts to susan and sabitha and i'm like oh man sabitha's entire body is fucking done because there's got to be such a thin layer between her and the cold she has to be dead of hypothermia by now (laughs) but yeah but that was it um i find it hilarious that he's wearing a fur that only covers his shoulders and not his arms or hands uh, and that, yeah, that Altos is just straight up wearing a toga, and that's it. Yeah. The moment they met Vassar, Vas- Vaser, I was just like, cannibal. This man is a cannibal. <laughs> Disappointed it didn't turn out like that. I mean, he's not not a cannibal. They never really... That's true. It doesn't say he's not one. They never really say what he is, but, like, it seems like he could be a cannibal. <laughs> that just makes me think that the pack Ian is carrying is just chunks of his last victims. Possibly. I mean, where'd he get the meat? Possibly. I mean, well, we don't know. But yeah, what we're referencing is that he, uh, Vassar gives him a, a pack of, like, supplies to uh, when he goes out to uh, rescue Altos, uh, Sabitha, and Susan. Um, but the pack is actually just full of raw meat because there are packs of vicious wolves throughout the mountains, which is just so fun. Ian gets back to Vassar's cabin and saves Barbara from being assaulted. Yeah, put it gently. Let's just leave it Uh, there. (laughs) Yeah, earlier in the episode when he's like waking Barbara up and he's like vigorously rubbing her hands. I'm like, that's big. That's those are real rapey vibes. Those are some red flag. What beautiful red flags you've adorned your cabin with Vassar. (laughs) I love it. This is terrifying. (laughs) And then Ina's like, all right, well, Barbara, I'm going to leave you with this mysterious huge man that we, we had no idea about who just haggled me for a fur. So you'll probably be fine. They get back to the cabin. They rescue Barbara. And then Ian is like, you are going to take us to the caves. Like, why? Why would you trust him to guide? He just tried to kill two of you and tried to do something else to the third. Why would you trust this man to guide you to the cave and not, say, a wolf den? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Better question. Why didn't they get their stuff back? Why didn't they get their stuff back? <laughs> they could have just grabbed it. And then gone to the cave, but... Because I didn't realize until later, like, you know, spoiler, when the guards wake up and they're, like, being chased. I'm like, just use your time watches. And then I was like, wait, do they have their time watches? Yeah. Why don't they have their time watches? I had, I had the same thought. I was like, why didn't they just use them? And then I remembered, oh, yeah, Vassar has them. That's, act- that's really clever that they came up with a reason as to why they wouldn't easily be able to escape from this situation. And then that thought was immediately followed with, why didn't they just get it back when they were back in the cabin? I don't understand. So, like, in covering up one plot hole, they just made another one. Yeah. This is what I mean by, like, a lot of times this episode is, like, unironically hilarious. Yeah. They're in the ice caves, and they have to walk across this rickety bridge, and Ian is a fucking idiot. Yeah, he's like, I'll just leave Vassar on the other side. Yeah. will follow us. Everybody else is on that side. I'll go join them. Vassar, why don't you follow me? And then Vassar does exactly what we all knew he was going to do, and he cut the rope bridge. <laughs> shocker. Uh, shocker of all shockers. But, I was, but then I was like, 
this shouldn't be an issue for Ian. Why, he spent like an entire episode and a half, it feels like, during the Daleks helping people jump across a gorge. This should be no problem for him. <laughs> but then they don't. <laughs> and then they don't. Not even a little. This episode has me with a lot of questions about the world. Mm-hmm. Or this part of Marinus. Mm-hmm. Because he says there's a village. Vassar obviously lives some like very simplistic life compared to the other places on Marinus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they come into the cave and there's what I could best describe as like Knights Templar cosplayers <laughs> frozen around a block of ice and like a pipe that sp- sprinkles hot water. Is there like a complex pipe system in the mountain? I don't know, but I'm glad you brought that up because this ice block puzzle, again, this makes it feel like a beginning DM writing their first campaign of like, they came up with this ice block puzzle and they're like, yeah, you have to turn this pipe and uh, it'll warm up the, it'll warm up the ice block, but it also thaw out the guards. And then one of the other players pointing out, why is there a pipe structure that heats up this specific ice blocks just in the mountains randomly? And (laughs) the DM doesn't have an answer (laughs) to that question. And like, who knows? <laughs> it's part of the mystery. Yeah, this this all of the keys of Marinus just feels like a D and D campaign. Like the this, and you know what? This, I kind of like that premise. This story becomes so much more enjoyable. Like, go, go ahead and go watch it again with just like the mindset of this is a D and D game, and it kind of fits. <laughs> and. The doctor being gone is actually just the player being on vacation. Yeah, the player just like, ah, sorry, guys, I missed the last couple sessions. What did I miss? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I thought that was hilarious. I really, really enjoy the guards, like, way too much. Yeah, the guards are the guards are interesting because they, like, do a kind of cave-in-esque thing to, at the very least, slow down the guards. And then they've successfully made their own bridge for susan to get across and then susan like reties the rope bridge somehow somehow, um which lets everybody else across and then they pull a vassar and destroy the bridge so that the guards can't come over uh they then go to vassar's cabin where they steal where they like get their watches back and then the guards are there and they kill vassar how the fuck did the guards get out of the cave they have no way across the gorge. Did they make their own weird bridge thing and just slowly like inch across on all fours in the, in their fucking like chainmail? <laughs> but no, I love it. I love their um like really glossy like tablecloth capes. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's amazing. I love the fact that there's like Knight Templars in this like sci-fi world. I guess uh, the Velvet Web wasn't, like, super high-tech, but, like, this is all on Marinus, right? Yeah, this is this is all on the same planet. I'll actually... I'm actually going to make it a point in its in its favor, because... And I was going to bring this up in the next episode, but I'll bring it up now. A pet peeve of mine in sci-fi, just, like, all sci-fi. Like, I've met very few... I've encountered very few sci-fi that are not guilty of this, is the um, the trope of the Planet of Hats where Caleb described describe Tatooine to me. Tatooine is a um, 
desert planet. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, now describe Hoth blood. to me. Hoth is a um, an ice planet. <laughs> uh huh. Now, now describe Dagobah to me. Dagobah is a. Um, a, you know, like a. Like it's a, just. It's a, just that like the meadow planet. No, that's that's a that's the swamp where Yoda was. Oh yeah, that's right. That's the swamp. Uh, presumably, it's just one big swamp that covers the entirety of this globe. Coruscant is the city. The planet. city planet. Yeah, you get my point. So it's something that always bugs me, and just like every sci-fi is just like, well, we just landed on the. It, it would be like. If someone um, landed in the Mojave Desert and on Earth, and they're like, well, this must be the desert planet. And it just bugs me that it's just like all the planet is just one singular biome and there's just like the one culture. Because <laughs> I'm playing a game right now where this is where this is the issue, where it's like you go there and someday I'm going to get off this planet kind of thing. It's like, is, do, is the city, is there just the one city? on this planet and that the city is is the planet is there nowhere else you can go it it bugs me so the one thing that i really 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 like about the keys of marinus is that it doesn't do that over the course of all of the episodes we see so many different biomes we see so many different cultures that it feels like an actually realized world as opposed to just being the desert planet you know what i mean that's a fair point that's actually a really great point uh i think and this is obviously just you know us thinking about it more than writers like you say uh i think i would like to see like a bit more of the inner politics between those groups then mm -hmm. like i really would have liked to hear uh the brains of morbidon's opinions on the board yeah yeah or if they were like oh arbiton that asshole yeah and and we do meet people a little bit later that like know who arbiton is so mm -hmm. like there is some link between the cultures, but I, I agree. I do wish there was some there was an opinions. That being said, I think the crusade thing is still like I don't know. They look like crusaders. I mean, it's 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 dumb. There was probably just like a studio a couple doors down who was doing like a crusade type movie, and they're like, "Hey, can we borrow your costumes for just like yeah, just like a second? This? Just like a second. Uh, so yeah. So otherwise, it, it, it's just like out of place, and that's it. It's just funny. Yeah. So yeah. Um, my the last kind of unironically hilarious thing is the way Vaser dies. <laughs> so they're about to leave and he grabs Susan and he's like you're not gonna leave or I'll kill her and he slowly backs up towards the door into the sword that the guys are using to break it down. <laughs> hilarious. Unreal. Yeah, that no, was great. <laughs> 10 out of 10 death. <laughs> Watch Mojo's <sighs> top 10 Doctor Who deaths. Number one, Vaser. <laughs> Vaser, hands down. Okay, so I guess we move on to the next episode. Yeah. And I'll read this synopsis. And then I'm going to tell you my big theory for these two episodes. So I was actually really disappointed it didn't pan out. Sentences of Death. The episode begins with Ian stumbling on a body and discovering the last key in the display box. Before he can grab it, he is knocked out and the key is taken by a mysterious figure. When Ian awakens, he is accused of murder and told he will stand trial and that he must prove his innocence. He calls on the doctor to help him, and they are able to delay the trial for two more days. After investigating the crime scene, the group determines that the other guard must be responsible, a man named Aiden. After confronting them, the doctor hatches a scheme to prove Ian's innocence. He calls Sabatha to the sand, and she accuses Aiden of giving him the key. 
Aiden admits his guilt, but is killed before he can say who he worked with. The prosecution and judges still believe Ian is involved and sentence him to death. And that is where the episode mostly ends. Yeah, this is the this is the first episode where it's not a fully self-contained story, and it does bleed into the next one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, episode one was the setup. Episode two was the Barbara episode. Episode three was kind of Ian and Barbara. Episode four was basically Ian. Episode five is the doctor because the doctor mm-hmm. is like putting on his putting on his uh, deer stalker cap and is just like elementary, my dear Watson, and is doing the investigation and using clever tactics in court in order to get the results. He's, he's using his brain like this is a doctor episode. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I really like is that the past couple of episodes, they've depended entirely on Ian. Mm hmm. But then they're in a position where Ian is 100% taken off the board. He's arrested and can't interact with the story at all. So now they have to figure mm-hmm. out how to get what they need without their queen piece. Mm-hmm. No, I, and like, I, I really like, I like the general setup of this episode. Like, I like the idea of a trial. And like, yeah, Ian is like totally removed from the situation. And we're kind of back to like an unearthly child setup where like it's gonna take their brains mm-hmm. to figure out what is going on, mm-hmm. or to yeah to figure out what's going on and get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. And I like I liked how it was more doctor centered because I feel like a lot of the episodes and maybe why I've struggled with the show a bit is like the doctor doesn't do that much except actually interfere with everything. I felt like he has caused more problems than he's actually solved. The show seems like it's more about Ian and Barbara than the Doctor. So I like it when the Doctor is kind of like the main driver of the plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is that is that fair to say? I'd say so. I would say that the Doctor hasn't had much of a much of an, of an opportunity to do much, which is probably one of the reasons why I like this episode so much. Because I'm I'm pulling up my my list here because I'm because like an unearthly child, he definitely gets in the way. Daleks, he definitely gets in the way. Um, Edge of Destruction, he's actively uh, antagonistic. Marco Polo, he doesn't really do anything except for... He's, like, sick half the time. Yeah. He makes friends with Kublai Khan, and he repairs the TARDIS, but other than that, he doesn't really do a whole lot. So I, I guess I'm... Yeah, I kind of agree with you. He's definitely taken a back seat in a lot of these stories he's a minor character in his own story yeah which would that will that will definitely change as time goes on but but yeah i like that even though like i feel like some of the deducing is kind of silly uh i couldn't really even tell you why but like the whole scene where they're like at the crime scene they're trying to figure out like who it was uh and he's like ah but yes of course it's like the the attacker hides behind the door and then like he walks them through all of it and he's like so it must have been the other guard and they're like well we gotta tell someone and he's like I can't prove that. Yeah, he's like, this is all 100% conjecture. I have no proof whatsoever. I am not bringing this up in court. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which at least at least they acknowledge. At least they acknowledge that. We're just like, oh, no, this is just my theory. I don't I don't know if this is actually true or not. <laughs> which is kind of which is kind of cool that like he kind of turns that into a gamble during the trial scene. But OK, here's my big theory. Are you ready? H- hit me. This, this is based on everything I know about the Doctor and everything he has done up until this point. I straight up thought he was the one that framed Ian. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why you would think that, 
but I'm curious to know what your logic is. No logic other than the doctor is kind of an asshole. And also he would have had some like really weird convoluted reason where like if it had gone his way, great. Ian is gone and he's got the keys to Marinus to do whatever he wishes. And if it, and if Ian gets out and away, well, that was the plan the whole time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I, I can definitely see how you would have that, have that theory. Or at the very least, why the doctor is definitely on your list of suspects. <laughs> yeah but that, like the first the first person that came away like when you see you see the glove like the knockout like who is it? i'm like that's the doctor there's no way it's not the doctor. <laughs> a, a man who will sabotage his own ship just to just to explore something like <laughs> he's suspect number one every time anytime there's a mystery like this i'm gonna immediately blame the doctor <laughs> um yeah i do i do think that after the events of edge of destruction he's kind of accepted them as his traveling companions because he's realized he kind of needs them more than anything mm-hmm. else. I do agree that their relationship is a little better now, but but not enough where I don't think he won't do That's it. That's fair. One teeny tiny little little detail that I absolutely loved is that they point out that the reason that, oh, he's suspected of murder, he's going to be executed, is because... Murder is so rare in their society, which checks out because up until recently, they've had the consciousness in their heads, making it so that murder wouldn't even cross their minds. So it makes sense that they would react this, I hesitate to use the word violently, but this drastically to a possible, um, to a murder trial. And, um, but the only thing that, the next obvious step of that thought is why do they have a court system at all? Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> why weren't they like, hey, why did you do that? <laughs> why, why do they have a court system set up with the consciousness already has programmed into them their sense of morality? Mm-hmm. Or, or programmed in like their sense of like how to handle problems, right? Because wouldn't the computer just be like the judge during execution? Yeah. And like worst case scenario, they like ask them like, "Hey, what should we do with this guy?" And the computer will go beep boop bop logic, do this. Yeah, but yeah, it was just, it was just a little detail of like why they have so few murder trials is because they have so few murders because the consciousness has been preventing them from having any murders. So I thought that was a neat little detail of world building. I liked. I will admit that I had trouble following this episode a little bit uh, because I'm an idiot. Because I straight up could not tell any of the characters apart. <laughs> Everyone in like the black button ups with like the parted hair. I uh, like. I straight up thought that the uh, like the interrogator, the prosecutor, and the guard that stole the key. I thought they were the same person until Aiden died. I'm not even lying. You know what? I don't even blame you. They were there was definitely a lot of very similar looking characters in this episode. So I I don't blame you at all. I will I will admit in my note taking, I often depend on the fact that you're going to be recapping everything. So I'm hoping that you'll be able to help me with this because my very last note for this episode is god damn it Susan but I can't remember why. Does it get revealed that Susan got kidnapped right at the end That's of the episode? That's it. Susan got kidnapped. <laughs> God damn God it, damn it Susan. <laughs> because uh, he, um, she gets kidnapped 
And then Barbara basically gets a ransom call that's like, hey, we have your plucky child sidekick. I think that actual phone call happens next episode. Susan gets kidnapped and I'm like, God damn it, Susan. I, I also like how like there's like all the theatrics of like Sabitha like accusing Aiden and Aiden's like, What I never and then like they grab him and like, Alright, I did it, but they made me do it and then he like, I don't know, dies. Yeah. I think he's like, Sh- is he shot? It, it says he's shot because like a gun went off and they're doing some sort of like analysis on it to see who shot it. Mm. But like it's just like a weird like flash out light. Yeah, so it might have been viewer. like a ray gun or something. But then the trial keeps going. <laughs> and the prosecution is like, well, that was very dramatic, but uh, it changes nothing. Uh, the person that uh, Aiden said he was working with must be Ian. Therefore, Ian should be put to death. And the judges are like, yeah, that adds up. <laughs> the judges are so bad at their job because they haven't had a murder trial in so long. They're like, shit, how do we do this again? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, make, that makes sense. Sure, let's go with that. Prosecution. Yep, I side with them. And and then the, the doctor's like, "Why well, need more time?" And they're like, mm, mm, "You've no. had an entire episode, Doctor. I think that's enough time. This isn't the Daleks, Doctor. This is a well-paced episode. We're gonna have to wrap this up." But no, but I just thought it was amazing that the prosecutors were like, "Hmm, well," or it's like that um Loki meme. They're like, "Yes, very sad." anyway <laughs> yeah um that's that's all i had for episode five yeah that's all i had hilarious murder trial shenanigans all right so the last episode the keys of marinus time is running out and the group must prove ian's innocence when susan is kidnapped the group confront aiden's wife about who he was working with but she won't say as it turns out kala is one of the masterminds and has susan hidden in a locked room when the group returns they narrowly stop her from killing susan then they learn that Kala's accomplice plans to return for the key. When the mysterious figure arrives at night, he pulls the key from a hidden compartment in the mace, and the group spring their trap. As it turns out, the murderer is Aizen, the prosecution in Ian's case. After returning their travel watches to the group, they travel back to Arbitan's fortress, which has been overrun by Yartek and the Vord. After catching onto a ruse by Yartek, Ian gives him the false key from earlier in the story, and Yartek destroys the conscience of Marinus when he inserts it. With the Vore defeated and the conscience destroyed, the group set out for a new adventure. So, Caleb, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but on top of pacing, this episode also addresses another common complaint we've had with this show. It actually has payoff for shit that's set up earlier. That's true. That is very true. Because Ian gives him the fake key, which I don't know about you, but when the fake key was introduced a couple of episodes ago, I was like, oh, that's another cool thing. That's another cool Chekhov's gun for the collection on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Here's here's another thing that is never going to be addressed again. It did get addressed again. I was like, I was like, good job, show you almost. It's almost like this got planned. Did someone outline this? Golf claps all around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I, this one is, um, I don't know. It's fine. Uh, it, it's It wraps up the story nicely enough, even though it feels like it's like trying to rush. Because like this episode especially, the other episodes are well-paced, but this episode is like, all right, come on, this happens, this happens, this happens. Yeah, no, I agree. Because the uh, 
because every other episode in this story has been a self-contained thing but this one is like cut in half of like it needs to wrap up the ian trial story and it also needs to wrap up the the vord and marinus in general mm-hmm. which what made them decide to make this six episodes instead of seven i don't know this is the one time where yeah this is the one time where like seven episodes would have actually been fun. yeah absolutely <laughs> which is weird that we're saying that it's weird that we're like oh man this should have had another episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah it feels very strange to say that yeah at the the very beginning they're talking to kala and then kala says i understand you must be so worried since you spoke with susan but i just can't help you and like immediately after she said that i in real life screamed objection because <laughs> it's like how do you know that they were talking to susan on the phone and just like the phoenix Wright music was playing in my head my only note i i straight did not pick up on the um when you talk to susan thing because i don't know I, I was too focused on like the way she was reacting like when she started crying i was like who cries standing up <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was wondering i was like this is fake that's what sent my red flag off i was like it's like if it were me i'd collapse I love how I'm over here like, wait a minute, what you said can't be possible because of this evidence, this evidence, and this evidence. There's the contradiction. Meanwhile, you're over here with like, who the fuck cries standing up? (laughs) What is wrong with you? Are you a robot? (laughs) That's all the evidence you need. (laughs) I I love it how she's like, she's like turning and she's crying. uh, And then like the door closes and then she comes away with this like super evil look. So during this the trial part of this episode, they're like trying to ramp up the tension of like they're trying to get all the last pieces of evidence to uh, recuse Ian. Um, And they keep cutting back to him because like he's basically on death row waiting for his execution. And I can only assume that this is part of their torture for Ian because every single time it cuts back to Ian, there's like a countdown for when his execution is going to take place and just like the most annoying beeping is happening as the countdown is like beep mm-hmm. beep 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 i'm like if i was you know like oh my god kill me now do not make me wait through this <laughs> can my last few moments be in peace <laughs> and if not just end it finally mac you're understanding my mentality on things then they they get back to Arbitan's tower, and Ian and Susan go to get to quote give him the last key. And oh, uh, what's what's the villain's name? I feel like I have it written down. Yartek. Yartek. Yeah, he like has Arbitan's cloak like robe on, and then and he has like the hood up, but he still has like the Vord head, so his head is so much taller, and then the hood goes over that. And he, like, hides his face so that Ian and Susan won't suspect that it's actually Yartek and not Arbitan. And it just feels like such a Little Red Riding Hood type moment. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> it's like, my Arbitan, your voice sounds so muffled and your hood has gotten so much taller. Oh, well. Arbitan, what rubbery hands you have. <laughs> what a muffled voice you have. What a tall head you have. I, I love when Ian gets closer and he's like, no, stay back. Uh... The conscience of Marinus gave me a terrible uh, disease. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very sick right now. But then I do also appreciate that Ian is just like, nah, I'm not buying this. And then gives him 
here you go here's the key and it's the fake key yeah i'm not gonna lie it was, it was uh it was one of those um um oh you know the meme with like the pixelated sunglasses uh like thug life is <laughs> a thug life moment for yeah because uh, i'm ruthless <laughs> When he's like, oh, you mean this key? What's that behind your ear? Ha ha. Yeah, no, I thought that was, I thought it was interesting that like, he basically defeated him, like, this man's like, this, uh, Vord's like, massive plan to take over the world just by like, not falling for something. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. It makes me think that the Vords were actually idiots. Yeah, I really do think the Vords were just idiots. <laughs> and they, they were actually just incompetent at everything and not just stabbing. They were so stupid that they couldn't be influenced by the consciousness and that's what made them <laughs> the conscious of marriage just didn't even like register them as they didn't they, did, they weren't even a blip on its radar <laughs> i accept that headcanon <laughs> yeah vartek yartek has a um, big power ranger villain energy yeah i've i've been recently <laughs> watching power rangers so i can i can attest yes this is absolutely this is absolutely a Power Ranger villain. So he puts the key in, the wrong key in, and then destroys the consciousness and also himself. And then they start to leave, and Sabitha is like seeing them off. And the doctor the doctor like compliments her father. And it's like he was a very wise and brilliant man. And I was just like, yes, I, I especially like the part where he blackmailed us and forced us to go on a suicidal quest. <laughs> Truly, he was the best of us. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? What part of this was him being wise and brilliant? No, I, I, no, I, I reject that. That is 100% in line with the doctor. <laughs> yes, the way he blackmailed us and forced us to do what he wanted. I really admire that about him. You know what? You know what? I'll give that one to you. You're, you're right. But yeah, I kind of already touched on this, but I, I was kind of disappointed that they did not, they never touched on the moral implications of the consciousness of a machine that rewrites the will of its people to line up with what its idea of justice was. Kind of wish they had touched on it a little bit because like the Vord were about to control the consciousness and then use that for evil to control the populace something anything no we're not gonna touch we're not gonna touch on it okay never mind moving on (laughs) (laughs) bore bad that's all you need to know and then they dematerialize and there was such ominous music playing as they warped away i'm not sure if you noticed that but it felt like so Mm -hmm. oh shit what's about to happen next kind of thing no i know and uh the, i don't remember but doesn't like the title card for like the like, episode have the word evil in it it's like the temple of evil or something like that probably i think so i thought i i thought i remembered evil being in the title i think it is because i know what the next i know what the next story is so the temple of evil seems like something that would be the name of an episode title so probably so yeah that's really all i have uh this episode's oddly like too quickly paced mm-hmm. Uh, Yartek is like hilariously dumb. It. <laughs> yeah. And Power Rangery. And then, uh, yeah, and then they fuck off and leave. <laughs> um, the only last bit of trivia that it didn't touch on um, in the fifth episode, William Hartnell is notorious for like flubbing his lines or not being able to remember his lines. One of the most notorious examples of this is in the Daleks where like they're in the the cell and the Dal- and uh, doctor says, they must have been anti-radiation gloves. Drugs. Like, that's one of the classic clips. 
um, because they yeah. only had so much film and so much time to to shoot. So they were given like three like three cuts per episode, mm-hmm. and you know he was old; he couldn't always remember his lines. Um, so he was notorious for getting for flubbing his lines. In the fifth episode, it seems like he does that because the the it seems like the line is supposed to be i can't prove it at this time but he says i can't improve it at this time except that that line flub was actually written into the script and william hartnell nailed it like he said the incorrect line correctly <laughs> <laughs> yes they're like you know it's just in the doctor's character now the flub what he says so we're just gonna write that in uh, that is kind of cool, actually. I noticed a lot of flubbing from everyone in this one. Not everyone, because I feel like Ian usually does a pretty good job. Uh, but I noticed a few moments where Barbara did it. I noticed a few moments where Susan and Altos did it. And I don't know. Like, it seemed more apparent this time. I didn't know if they were, like, rushing or if, like, they were really short on film. I don't know. And this is when they started burning episodes. Maybe. I mean, this episode definitely had, like, a, a higher production value a higher production budget so i i can definitely see them being like okay guys we can only do one cut this time so don't fuck up yeah um but barbara has a line it's um in the velvet web when she's talking to sabitha when she's still um brainwashed or whatever uh and i know barbara just says something in essence of i think you're under some deep form of deep hypnosis (laughs) And I don't know why, like, that, like, caught my mind. And, like, the <laughs> for whatever reason, all I could think of was the movie Dodgeball. I don't know if you've seen that. But one of the one of the famous lines from the movie is, the five Ds of Dodgeball. Dodge, dip, duck, dive, and dodge. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that came to my mind, but, like, some deep form of deep hypnosis <laughs> is my favorite line in the whole story. Did you have any more notes about this episode specifically? This episode specifically, no. Okay, so then let's just go ahead and move on to final thoughts. Final thoughts? Quite frankly, I fucking loved this episode. I thought it would it uh, fixed a lot of the pacing issues. I thought each of the stories, while there were definitely some weaker elements in some, I thought each of the epi- each of the stories individually were very compelling. Velvet, the Velvet Web was definitely the best one. Mm-hmm. I, I I know it's just my projection onto the onto the episodes. But it felt like each member of the crew was going to get a focus. And it feels like Ian, Barbara, and the Doctor did. But Susan never did. And I feel like that was a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. I would like to see something. I would like to see Susan do more than, like, cry and fall. I'm, I'm hoping so. I, I'm really hoping so. Because, like, the Doctor's the brains. Ian's the brawn. Barbara's the heart. And... It doesn't really feel like Susan has a role mm-hmm. yet, and I, I, I real as much as like I complain about Susan, I would like to see her do something. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. I, I think um, it's a little, little odd that the main, that the quote main villain group was only in the first episode and the second half of the last episode, and the leader of that group wasn't shown until yeah, the last ten minutes. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's not perfect, but my my final thoughts are like it's it's the best story so far, hands down. Like it like leagues ahead of the others. Yeah. I like the kind of the idea of there being like a loose overarching story 
and the actual episodes being way more self-contained. Like, we'd get this piece, which furthers the main plot, but the episode itself was kind of self-contained. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. I agree. The um, the Velvet Web is the best episode. I feel like if the show keeps going in this direction, I might actually enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Each episode had its own individual flaws, but I felt like altogether it came together decently well. Yeah. And I agree. I'd like to see, like, the main villains a bit more. I'd like a little bit more nuance and a little bit more world building, but uh, the show is getting better, so that's a good sign. Yeah, it's a good good sign. We've pretty much already touched on it. I've been doing my my rankings. I don't know if you've been doing rankings. Uh, for Edge of Destruction, I said that um, I'm putting it at the top of my list, um, but I'm expecting it to be dethroned. Uh, and then I said the exact same thing about Marco Polo. The Keys of Marinus I'm putting at the very top. I'm not expecting it to be dethroned anytime soon. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'd agree. For me, it's the Keys of Marinus, followed by the Daleks. Sabitha and Diani have nothing to do with those decisions. <laughs> a little bit of something. A little bit of something. Uh, the Daleks almost took top, top place, almost exclusively for Diani. <laughs> but no, yeah, this is my favorite episode so far. Uh, I like the ones where there's actually a bit of world building to it. And I don't know, I haven't really liked the history episodes yet, but we'll see. Well, that's it for this episode. If you'd like to talk to us about the show, you can find us on Twitter at QuickTripDW. And if you'd like to just talk to us in general, you can find us at MacTheMeh and at CLB underscore Clark. You can find this podcast on iTunes and every other major podcasting platform. And also on Mac's YouTube channel, which is MacTheMeh. And join us next time on our quick trip through space and time in which we watch Jacqueline Hill's favorite episode and also bring up questions of morality and time travel in... The Aztecs. around the corner and make sure Kylie's not glaring at me. Um, but yes, Sabitha is quite hot. She is. She's very attractive. There she is. Yep, there she is. <laughs> <laughs>